At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and um, great to have you here, and um, please be seated. We have another broadcasting live here from Santa Monica, where it is absolutely beautiful once again. Um, we have a great show for you today. We're going to do, um, first segment, we're going to do an update on some of the, the key developments that have been going on. Um, there actually have some things happening in the internet, um, other than SOPA, it might be hard to believe, and, um, and or um, Mega Upload. But um, in the second half, we're going to have a, a PR expert, um, Brenda Christensen, who's been worked almost exclusively for tech companies. And she's going to talk about the need for um, being prepared and having a plan for crisis PR. And um, she's going to use the, the Susan G. Common incident really as a, it's a touchstone because it, it seems to have been a textbook case of what not to do. Um, how you can, just, you know, um, I think Warren Buffett has a quote that, um, you know, a great brand takes 20 years to build and, and it only takes five minutes to blow. And I'm sure those weren't exact words, but, um, you know, that's what we saw happen. Um, you saw a, a very powerful brand. I mean, they had the NFL wearing pink. Um, how powerful is that? <laughs> and, um, and they managed to get... Um, you know, really just devastate their brand in overnight. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, so I um, hope you'll join us for the full hour. We will have uh, taking questions in the chat room. 
uh, which is available on the website at webmasterradio.fm. So um, without further ado, let's jump into um, some of the developments that have happened that uh, we really haven't had a chance to really talk much about. Um, and the, the first is um, I want to talk about Twitter and censorship. And um, Twitter got a fair amount of criticism um, announcing that it would, it would be um, censoring, um, you know, complying with government censorship requests um, on a jurisdiction basis. But what they were doing differently is they would be only um, censoring at the local domain, um, not worldwide. So, for example, if you're in China and um, the government in China requests Twitter to remove content, um, one, the content is never removed. It would just be blocked in um, Chinese in, in domains in that jurisdiction, um, but it would otherwise be available, which means, one, um, people could get access to the information just if, so if someone was outside the jurisdiction um, retweeted it, and um, so then you know, the recipients within the jurisdiction would see it, uh, or all the person has to do is just um, re- reset their um, location, and then then they can access. So it more or less was a way to comply on a minimal basis with the censorship request um, in order to you know, meet their obligations to comply with local law, but do so in a way that is not um, completely um, in cooperating, not completely furthering the purpose of censorship, but rather complying at the most minimal level. And in addition, that they were indicated they're going to send um, to send censorship requests to chillingeffects.org. And what is chillingeffects.org? Well, um, chillingeffects.org is an organization that was been set up by Google and some others to um, um, post takedown requests um, under the Digital Money and Copyright Act where people request that certain content be taken down. Um, it's almost certain if you make such a request to YouTube or otherwise, um, it will get posted there. And it's just a way of keeping people honest, making sure that when they uh, ask for things to be taken down, they have a, you, know, you should have a reasonable basis because you know it's going to be published. And they were going to do something similar f- for censorship requests, although I haven't seen any of that occurring just yet. Um, what was interesting is that coming immediately after the SOPA protest, there was some um, widespread criticism by some who just saw the headline that you know Twitter was, um, you know, I guess, for lack of a better word, caving into censors, and um, which wasn't the case at all. Um, they were actually outwitting the censors. And um, but what was interesting is that you know Twitter w- was praised um, by Chinese netizens. Uh, one, the editor of a, a newspaper in China, said that you know he's proud to be a member of Twitter today. Um, in light of that, and uh, so it clearly, um, you know, for the people that we're who were trying to promote free expression, they saw this as a positive development. And so winning praise within China was good. What was also interesting was it was one praise from the Thai government. And Thailand has a unique law that uh, prohibits um, prohibits um, speaking about the king, and Thailand is a kingdom, um, in a derogatory manner. And um, so... They've repeatedly asked um, Twitter to take things down, and so they actually were quite pleased with the law as well. So the fact that they plead the censors as well as the censored 
um, is definitely a positive development. Google announced a, a, made a similar announcement um, with respect to YouTube. So um, I think that was a, all in all a step forward. <coughs> and what's interesting is you may recall um, this time last year, we had um, Jillian York, who at the time was with the, the Berkman um, Center for the Internet. And um, Jillian has now moved to the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And when we spoke with Jillian um, when she was with Berkman, um, she was um, very active and she had a, a kind of spent a good part of her career in working with the um, kind of the um, free speech movement on the Internet in the Arab world. And um, so she spoke um, about what was going on then in Cairo. Um, and so the uh, and then within days, of course, you know, I don't know if you recall, but within days, of course, um, Hosea Mubarak um, stepped down. And uh, which, of course, I'm sure was entirely due to this broadcast. And uh, well, Jillian is now the um, director of international freedom of expression at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and hopefully she'll, she'll join us again. But she um, she publishes a um, report for EFF um, on the website called "This Week in Censorship," and um, so her latest report um, focuses on Oman, South Korea, and China. And what was interesting about South Korea was that um, South Korea, she reports, is one of a handful of democracies that justifies online censorship on the basis of national security. And um, a a person was arrested for retweeting um, a tweet that he had been posted by the North Korean media, and um, which is a very interesting um, event and has caused a lot of criticism. Um, in China, there's been crackdown on um, Tibetan blogs and amid heightened tensions between Tibet and, and the government. And um, reports claim the government also has shut down Internet and mobile access during protests that were occurring in Tibet. Um, in addition, she's also t- highlighted um, the Sultanate of Oman, um, which has received little attention throughout Arab Spring um, despite unprecedented protests last February. And, um, and they have actually uh, amended their penal code um, to have punishment for those charged with weakening the prestige of the state and um, suggest the, um, the blogosphere is likely engages in self-censorship but may be a target. In fact, a report by Global Voices Advocacy um, says has people being detained for blog posts and tweets critical of the government. But um, so just it, there is um, constant risk and constant uh, attacks being made on the blogosphere um, in repressive regimes. And um, so, but hats off to Jillian on her new move, and hopefully she will join us um, to talk about um, what the EFS is doing in, in um, addressing online censorship. Um, another big move um, that happened over the last um, couple of episodes um, were, were two things. And one was, um, the um, Google adopted a revised privacy policy, which will take effect on March 1st. And so if you, if you subscribe to any Google products right now, anytime you log in to um, anything from um, YouTube to an, any one of the other Google properties, you are going to get a notice about their, um, that their privacy policy goes into effect on the March 1st. And what is significant about the policy change 
is that they've gone from having separate policies for some 80 or approximately 80 properties to try to have in one unified property. And in some cases, they're getting criticism because they had um, one point represented that the um, different uh, properties would be treated differently um, for a privacy basis and um, that you know, data would not be merged. And so um, they're getting a, a fair amount of criticism um, for this move. And, um, and actually, members of Congress have asked that Google come to explain the changes. Um, the European Union is also um, objecting and wants um, Google to delay the changes being made. And so it's um, it's a fairly significant um, development that's happening. And unless you opt out, um, this will affect your your all your Google accounts effective uh, March one. And so um, that change is coming, and it's caused a fair amount of debate. Um, the other change that's happening on privacy at this very same time is the announcement by the European Union. Um, that um, they were proposing changes to the um, EU Privacy Directive, which has been in force um, since 1995. And um, they're actually looking to um, require express consent um, for data use. Um, In addition, there is the right to be forgotten, um, which will be implemented, which Google has raised some legitimate concerns about. Um, can at least the right to be forgotten also um, an element of you know, censorship? Can people say, well, um, I posted these views years ago. I don't want them on there anymore as a way for someone to cover their trails if they're, in public, if they're a public figure. Um, you know, there are concerns about how that is implemented and you know, just wh- what is the extent and reach of the right to be forgotten. Um, in addition, um, the penalties being suggested by the EU are quite substantial. Um, I believe it's up to um, 2% of your um, annual revenue um, can be assessed for violating the law, which includes uh, also failing to provide prompt notice of a data breach. So there's some substantial changes being proposed. At the same time, the EU is seeking to streamline the regulatory structure for privacy um, by having one country be responsible um, for multinational entities, and so it would be the, you know, for Google, for example, it has a hyper large presence in Ireland, and so Ireland would have the would be the lead regulator for um, the EU in dealing with Google, and so Google could just deal with that one regulator and not have to deal with all twenty seven members of the EU. So the next step is this proposal has to be um, approved by um, the European Parliament. And then um, it could go into effect by 2013. Um, there has been some criticism of the p- proposal as being too too broad um, and actually creating a, a system where <coughs> you know you would be creating boundaries on the internet um, by establishing um, you know, significantly higher standards for use of data and um, you know how does one do that in in a, a borderless society, and uh, you, the United States is often criticized for um, exercising you know, global um, jurisdiction. But here, in this case, it would be the EU, um, who some frequently does criticize the U.S. for that. So that is um, that is proceeding, and that was just announced in, two weeks ago.
Um, I think passage is likely at the European Parliament, but these days, you, it's hard to see. Um, you know, people probably thought SOPA um, was, was passage was likely as well. So um, those were big developments. Yeah, another big development that is occurring has been um, the continued prevalence of hacking. Um, and um, there have been significant hacks going on um, from day one this year. Uh, we talked earlier about Zappos, then their, their hack and um, security breach. And, um, and that just continues to go on. In fact, you know, the whole notion of um, um, seven degrees or six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon um, has reached a new level because Kevin Bacon's Twitter account was hacked. And so now he, he joins a, a group of, of an elite group um, who have been um, similarly um, hacked. And so you, you may have your six degrees with Kevin Bacon now as a result. And um, so that is moving along um, and continues. And um, the, this firm, the Internet Law Center, has decided to, in an effort to monitor the scope of um, where we are and how this is progressing, um, has actually created a website um, called the Hack Exchange 2012, which is at hackx.org. And the purpose of the site is really to monitor um, and report on um, the extent of hacking that is occurring and cyber attacks that is occurring um, d- during the year to give uh, both a you know a, a quick visual representation of what is the what is going on in that space, and it's actually quite alarming. Um, if you look at the site, you'll see that um, already you know, we're only six weeks into the year, and major organizations in the United States government have been hacked from the Justice Department, the FBI. Um, you have the Federal Trade Commission's online safety website was hacked. Um, you have the Copyright Office and um, remember a United States Senator. Um, a large number of hacks have been occurring there. What is also interesting is that there's a, been a low-level um, but consistent um, cyber war going on in the Middle East between Israeli and Arab hackers. Um, you know, hackers were able to bring down the websites for El Al, the Israeli airline, and the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, which we talked about earlier. And the Israelis have retaliated by bringing down the stock exchanges in um, Riyadh and um, Dubai. And um, and this continues to go on, you know, tit for tat, um, with um, other financial institutions being attacked, um, medical institutions. And so this is an ongoing development that is worrisome um, a number in terms of the um, celebrity blog role of whose Twitter and other accounts have been hacked. It includes Justin Bieber, Kevin Bacon, Ashton Kushner, Rihanna, um, you know, no doubt, um, and among others are those included in the hack list. So um, you check it out. It's called hackx.org. It's strictly a non-commercial site, and it's intended to um, you know, just further understanding of um, where we are and um, at this point in time uh, on these global events. So that is um, 
That is thehackx.org. And when we come back, we're going to take a short break, but we're going to talk a little further about um, other developments in the Internet. And then we're going to talk to um, Brenda Christensen about um, PR and crisis management after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. From the creators of We Build Pages, experience the power of the Internet Marketing Ninja. An exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas. Mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. The Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit imninjas.com. The ninjas are coming. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Radio's Virtual Autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm. Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And Ben and Kelly, we are back. Um, thank you for joining us again. And um, this is Cyber Law and Business Report, and I'm broadcasting live from sunny Southern California. And um, we are um, giving you a brief update on some of the developments in the internet that we haven't had a chance to talk about in our last few episodes. But we'll, um, in, we, in the second half, we will have Brenda Christensen, who is a PR tech PR expert who has worked exclusively um, in that area. And um, she's going to talk about the really need to have a, a crisis PR plan. And we're going to talk about the Susan G. Komen, um incident and, and really what that lessons can be learned from it and uh, – you know, there are so many, and uh, I think what's the phrase about um, when in a hole, don't dig. Uh, when there's a fire, don't don't add fuel. Um, I think the uh, Susan G. Common case is, a, is clearly a, um, a classic instance of mismanagement 
of PR and already a lot of PR professionals have written or jumped on about how badly this was handled. And we, as we talked at the top of the hour, this was an extremely strong brand that allowed itself to really be, you know, devastated in a very short period of time. So, um, one issue that we, um, we're going to talk about very briefly, um, the time that we doesn't allow to go into extensively, and we will have a show on this, is um, there's a new four-letter word in the Internet that has everyone up in arms. In fact, there were demonstrations all over Europe um, this past weekend, and, um, in fa- and one government in one of, the, one, of the, one of the European countries actually stepped down over its support for this four-letter word. And it's not love or hate or anything that you would see banned on um, mainstream media. But it's the word ACTA. And that is um, a trade agreement the, um, to um, address copyright infringement. And people have said, if you thought SOPA was scary, ACTA is a nightmare. And this you needed to scream, I think. Um, and, and so this moves forward. Um, what has happened is it's it, – I'll just lay the foundation because we'll talk about it in more detail in another, another segment. But um, there's a concept called executive treaties. And what that means is it um, doesn't require any change in U.S. law. And just by way of background, you know, when you know, the Senate ratifies a treaty, you know, that, that is a law. It has the same effect and force as U.S. law because it has now been adopted um, as set forth in the Constitution. But when you have a treaty between countries that requires no change in law, they're sometimes known as executive treaties. And generally it is believed that they don't require ratification. <laughs> so the president is allowed to sign treaties with other countries, you know, or that are already within his existing authority. You know, for example, on such matters as you know, law enforcement cooperation, or you know, something of that nature. And so, over the past several years, dating, you know, going back to even the Bush administration, there have been ongoing negotiations over ACTA, and significantly, is they've been done in secret. Um, the negotiators have said to actually have to reveal what was being said um, in these negotiations would be to um, destroy the negotiations themselves. And even the treaty itself for the longest time was kept secret and not released. Um, and so only recently um, has this been come out as the European Union uh, has signed on to ACTA and now a number of um, member states are looking to ratify and that is what has caused all the um, all the activity in Europe, and um, and even as I mentioned, even led one country to step down. Um, the government stepped down for its support of ACTA. And uh, but what's interesting is um, going over this whole executive treaty. The, the administration has taken the position that it does not need to submit this to Congress, and there's strong opposition by some in Congress to ACTA, who, who believe it is far worse than SOPA. And, but they've, ha- <laughs> they've designated those, con- those communications with Congress secret. And so um, a, a report by the Library of Congress on you know, the authority to, and the constitutional issues raised by um, ACTA has actually been um, partly redacted 
by the government before it was released. So it's been a very unusual circumstance in which you know, copyright issues are somehow being treated in a national security basis. And um, there seems to be a growing uh, anti-active um, movement, which includes uh, Anonymous. And um, we will post on the chat room some, some information about ACTA, but we will be talking about this more extensively. But you're going to continue to see uh, developments in Europe on that and then look for them to start developing here in the U.S. Um, this concerns that you might see a more or less a uh, a trade-off in which the, you know, the administration's um, trades having opposed ACTA, um, having opposed SOPA, but then in turn, you know, as a, pay, a payback or you know, balancing um, for the Motion Picture Association, um, then goes ahead and moves forward with ACTA, um, which to some would be far worse. But we'll talk about that in a little more detail um, in our next uh, one of our future shows. But there's one other interesting note on the Internet um, from the Super Bowl. And uh, many of you may have seen the Super Bowl. Um, I, I forget who won. But um, the uh, at halftime, there was a, a dramatic um, commercial um, with Clint Eastwood as the narrator um, for the Detroit automakers that it's halftime in America. And um, I thought it was a beautifully done commercial. But what was interesting was that um, Chrysler's own YouTube page um, had the video taken down. Um, someone from um, the NFL uses a service to monitor its content on the Internet, and someone took the position that this was actually, you know, even since it was a commercial for the show, it was and therefore part of the show and NFL content. And um, so it was kind of an interesting development. So Chrysler's own commercial was taken down briefly from its YouTube page and then restored. Um, so that is um, where we are. <laughs> um, that was, I, I think that was, I don't know if that's offsides or um, illegal motion, but um, they took the penalty quickly and corrected it. Um, so we're going to um, see if we can get Brenda Christensen on. Let me see if I can bring her in. Wouldn't that be more unnecessary roughness? Well, I don't know if it was roughness, though, but yes, it is. <laughs> That's a better phrase for it. I mean, I would think so. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's not clipping. Um, it's not a face mask. Uh, you know, what, would, what else could it be? It's unnecessary roughness. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the big bad NFL bullying up to Chrysler, you know. Uh, we're trying to get Brenda in. Um, okay, so why don't we take a quick break, and we'll come back with Brenda Christensen. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. On the road. On the boat. Working on. Or up in the air. Now you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. It's time for the 2012 SCS Conference and Expo to make its way back to the Big Apple. New York City, 
SCS New York 2011 makes its way to the New York Hilton March 19th through the 23rd. SES New York 2011 will feature over 70 sessions, nearly 100 exhibitors, and networking opportunities with thousands of marketing and search engine optimization professionals. SES New York 2011 will start with a high-profile opening keynote from Google's digital marketing evangelist, Avinash Kaushik. Don't delay. Come to SES New York 2012, March 19th to the 23rd, inside the New York Hilton. Register right now at searchenginestrategies.com. That's searchenginestrategies.com. Welcome to the Webmaster Institute for Financial Advancement, webmasterradio.fm. It's like radio with a Ph.D. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And this is um, Bennett Kelly coughing his way through the second segment. Um, thank you for joining us. We have um, with us Brenda Christensen, who is the um, director of communications for Nimble, um, which we um, we had. You recall we had uh, the president of Nimble on um, several um, last year, and um, but unfortunately, um, technical problems um, eliminated the podcast. But um, John Farrar was, was brilliant on that show. Um, but we're glad to have Brenda on. Brenda, are you with us? I am, yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And um, we've had quite an interesting week um, the last few days with um, the Susan G. Common um, Foundation and their, their war with um, Planned Parenthood. And it seems to me to have been uh, a textbook case of what not to do in crisis PR. But before we even talk about that, um, is it a lot of people don't think, think that they need to worry about um, a crisis and what they would do in a crisis until it actually happens. And is that, is that really a, a reasonable approach? Uh, it's not reasonable, but it's, it's all too common these days. Uh, well, it's always been this way. Excuse me, I I like to liken these things to, you know, everyone lives in a house or an apartment, right? And occasionally a fire will break out. And some people are more prepared than others, and a lot of offices have fire drills, this type of thing. But I think no matter what size (laughs) organization, you should have some kind of crisis communication plan in place. Um, Everyone deals with the public when they're in business, so... Um, it can be something very minor or something very major, like the Komen event. Uh, and and we also, you know, we take into account that, you know, things are going to, we're going to have blips on the radar now and then in our profession. But um, it's just always great to have at least some framework uh, in case things go wrong so you have a plan and you can execute on it. And it's always surprising to me when these very large, well-funded organizations now, what's interesting to me about this was that, um, first of all, you've worked in tech, and um, one thing that I think is you know, there might be a false assumption is that these you know, these largely happen in the offline world; it doesn't happen in the tech world as much. But um, you know, can you say mega upload or you know the poker sites that got taken down? So it definitely does affect them, the online world, but. Um, you know, going to the Susan G. Common, it seems to be that they had someone step on it, 
in a major way. And then they let that person be in charge of the PR for how to clean it up. And that seems to be the main mistake number one. Yeah, um, I do have a little inside information on what went down internally. I have a friend who's actually friends with um, a communications professional there. And apparently what happened was they didn't even have a plan at all. And obviously this shows, but I I think that's the most shocking part for people in my industry is um, this is really just um, communications 101. They teach it very early on and a university that um, you you just develop and put a plan in place and you get legal and everyone to sign off on it. So they're all agreed that, you know, out of all the different scenarios that can happen, you know, there's usually a a 10-step plan that you do one day, 24 hours out, 48 hours out, a week out. But um, I think what would be most insightful for your audience is to learn that this this large nonprofit didn't even have a crisis communication plan at all, and I, I found that really shocking. Yeah, I think you know they had, and there's been some criticism that really what you had was a, and I think this is a problem. You know, a lot of companies have to consider. You know, um, you had a small business that had grown into a huge grant provider, but it was still largely run by the same kind of cotidiary of. You know, uh, you know Dallas women, and um, and they hadn't really. They probably still thought of themselves in that same you know light, and um, they had actually you know weren't thinking with the mindset of a large enterprise. And that's so true. And I mean, and and you know that the cases are are just endless. And and one of them that springs to mind immediately for me in high tech is you know, Microsoft and the DOJ case. You know, I, I just don't I just understand <laughs> yeah, very much that mentality so. then, you know. But, um, you know, I guess maybe Bill Gates felt or thought that he was untouchable. But, you know, I don't think they did a whole lot of community types of relations or political relations. And every organiz- or every organization touches all communities. And everything's political, especially these days when the news cycle is 24-7, we're in an election year. People, uh, there's there's just something in the culture right now about choosing sides. Um, you know, there's a whole Occupy movement that's going on. And if you don't have executives and staff who are, you know, attuned to these cultural phenomenons, you know, you can suffer. And I think this is a case in point, you know, and especially in election year when, you know, emotions are running high and, and things are very politically charged. So what would you say their mistakes were? You know, for, what, what are the lessons to be drawn from um, this incident? Well, the obvious one is, you know, they didn't even have a plan at all, which right. is pretty amazing. And I think a lot of nonprofits think, well, you know, we're fighting breast cancer. We're, we're Coleman. We're good. You know, who could ever, you know, how could anything ever go wrong? But as we see, things can go wrong. And, and a lot of times, you know, executives, like you said, they get insular. You know, they, they don't want to uh, – I'm sure there were probably voices internally at the company that were saying, well, um, you know, we have to think of these worst-case scenarios. And a lot of times executives, um, you know, they don't, they don't want to go down that path. It's almost like 
you know, planning your will. You know, a lot of people just right. don't want to think about it, and then, you know, it leaves their family in the lurch. Well, you know, you really have to think of your business, no, no matter how big it gets, as a family, and that, you know, you need to protect all members. So it's, it's kind of like an insurance plan. So I think, obviously, the best lesson to put in place is to have a crisis communication plan. If you're not um, a real big organization, you know, you can always kind of brainstorm with members of your staff and just put together a, just a, a real basic structure or framework of just some points that you can go through that will um, cover you in case something bad happens. There's so many great resources on the Internet where you can get great guidance on crisis communication as well. But I think the biggest lesson and how this blew up in their face is, and this is typical, is um, a lot of times because they don't have a plan in place, they get caught by surprise. And you have uh, different people within the organization um, taking charge or trying to control the situation. And a lot of times the more you try to control it internally, the more out of control it gets, and that's what we saw. Now, um, I think we, let's, you, know, you raised a, an interesting point about we are a, a charity doing wonderful things. You know, what can go wrong? And I think, and I'm sure people think that whatever industry they're in, you know, and well, and so let's, let's take a step back. You're a charity. What can go wrong? Well, two things come to mind United Way, Red Cross, yeah. when they had the, you know, the tainted AIDS, tainted blood that, you know, during, during the AIDS crisis. And um, and so yes, things can go wrong, even when you're doing good, um, and and especially when you know, people are upset with the way you've chosen to do good. Um, but if you look at whatever industry you're in, you think, oh well, I'm in, um, I'm in the cruise line industry. What can go wrong there? Well, <laughs> if you've been right. watching any, I mean, any industry you're in, I'm sure if you think long enough, you can find a, a crisis that had to be addressed in that industry, and so you should start preparing for that. Yeah, and especially in, in the days of social media, I mean, it, this used to be just the, the playground for the, the rich and famous companies, the large companies. Um, but, you know, even if you're a small business owner, you, you're part of your community, you know, and, and you should be doing some outreach to your community, and social is a great way to do that. But, um, you know, I mean, things can go wrong, like the local dry cleaner, you know, something <laughs> something can go wrong and, and uh, you know, one of your employees perhaps can, can upset the apple cart, and, you know, and um, who knows, you know, like a, a fire could happen at your dry cleaner or something, and, you know, the press will be there. You know, the or yeah, just someone post something on Yelp that if, says these guys are racist or sexist or whatever, <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a boycott movement on Facebook. Um, right. and, exactly. and you have to so deal with that. It touches everyone now, and that's an excellent point you, you made. Is, now, um, but you made a great point by highlighting social media. Yes, and yeah. I, I think here's where they made you – know, one of the mistakes they made was not to clamp down on communications um, because at the same time you had <coughs> you know, the Susan Common people – trying to extend or at least, you know, tone things down vis-a-vis Planned Parenthood, you had um, the woman handle um, on Twitter saying, oh, cry me a river. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, you have um, them trying to, you know, placate things by, by firing her and hoping that, you know, calms things down again. She then gets on Fox News and then <laughs> lashes out at 
on Planned Parenthood. So it seemed like you know one thing is you have to get control of the message, and now that includes social media. Yes, and and it used to be a, a very much a gatekeeper type of activity. Someone like myself, an executive in the communications department would control and handle all messages, but everyone's online now. All your employees are on social. You know, it's kind of like everybody is a communications manager within your company, um, and they represent your brand and they represent your company. Even this is true with small companies, you know, and, and mom-and-pop businesses as well. Um, so everyone is, is front-facing with the company, with the um, public and the community. So I think it's real important to, um, and, and this has been a trend lately, is more and more um, HR and communication are working together with employees, um, you know, to, to kind of help guide them and ease them into this whole new social media age. And there are great tools out there. Of course, I need to mention Nimble is a great tool, you know, for aggregating and organizing and allowing employees to communicate internally and externally with customers and, and the community that can really help a lot in simplifying the whole process. But it really does come uh, from the – it's a, a two-way thing where it goes bottom-up now as well as top-down. In the old days, it used to be top-down. We have um, we have some questions for you from the chat room, but just very briefly, it's, it's, it's interesting – um, you know, one, you can't get much higher in terms of crisis management than the White House. And you know, yes. this week actually was Ronald Reagan's birthday. And, you know, I recall when, you know, the, the assassination attempt on Reagan and you had, you know, Secretary of State Al Haig famously saying, I'm in charge. And, you know, now with social media, I wonder how many members of government would have, you know, <laughs> tweeted, I'm in charge. <laughs> and something like exactly. that occurred today. But um, yeah. one question people are wondering is, what do you see the long-term damage being um, for the brand? And, um, you know, clearly uh, United Way and some others have recovered, but um, how long will you think that will take? Well, you know, that's a really great question because, um, you know, someone like Microsoft having a crisis communication or even HP, you know, with it, with their CEO having the dalliances and that's one thing, but this is a very emotionally charged issue. You know, we're talking about breast cancer. A lot of people are affected by this. So there, there is a deep-seated desire for people to support, you know, a nonprofit that is, you know, helping people recover from this hideous disease. But on the other hand, a lot of it depends on Komen and how they, how they move forward. Um, I, I think the best advice I can give to them or anyone is if you don't have a plan in place and something like this happens to you, you kind of have to bring in a SWAT team, you know, of some real communication pros to, to, to get you out of this and to help, you know, mitigate any damage that's already happened to your brand. And, and, and the best line of, of attack, and I, and I don't like to say attack, but... Um, I had the very good fortune of 15 years ago chatting with um, the gal who was on staff for Tylenol during the Tylenol scare, and she was the one who handled that. Which is the textbook case of what to do in crisis. Exactly, and she said they had a plan in place. They followed it. They had a lot of um, kickback from legal because um, legal has to consider their, you know, their sensitivities should, you know, there be litigation, but... She said because they followed that to plan and they were very open and very communicative with everyone, it mitigated any 
any brand damage. And as you know, what is it, 20, 25 years later now, Tylenol is still, you know, an established brand. Now, I, I recall that Tylenol's response was to implement those child safe and um, and sealed um Packaging, but what was the what was the crisis that triggered it? What, what was was it contaminated, or was there something a needle yeah, or something there was, found? Um, for lack of a better word, there was some psycho that was going into drugstores and contaminating the Tylenol, um, and it was just Tylenol. So this goes back to my other point about how important it is for communications professionals to work closely with HR because a lot of you know, I come from the security or technology um, background as well, and there are most of the hacks that happen at companies come from former employees who are disgruntled. You know, it's, it's interesting. You started talking about touched on talking with legal, and um, and someone was interviewing um, Barney Frank, the congressman from Massachusetts, who um, he. Um, he had some scandal in the in the 80s, I believe, um, where it was alleged that he had had a um, one of his boyfriends was also a, you know was a call was a prostitute operating out of his house, and there, someone was asking, how is it that you managed to survive that scandal, whereas today others have haven't? And he said, you know, right off the bat, um, one of the first things um, we did was decide not to follow our lawyers. You know, our lawyers were saying, well, you don't want to say this, you don't want to say that. And you know, he said, I was at the conclusion that um, morally I'd done nothing wrong. Whether it was legal or not, I don't know. But I felt that if I came forward and just said what happened and why I think what I did was morally appropriate, um, everything else would fall in place. And you know, I'm not urging people to disregard what their lawyers say, but it was interesting. He, he basically he took charge of the crisis. Right. And he was open and he yes. was very communicative during the whole process. And and at the at the bottom line of all this, we're all human and it's human nature. And even when your company is doing well, I've advised clients, especially when their company's doing well, I'll go into the executive's office and I'll say, you know, okay, are you ready now for the teardown? And what I mean by that is a lot of times it's human nature when a company's doing really well, there'll be people out there who will look to tear you down. Right. It's always good to remember who you are, why you get up every morning and do what you do, what your mission is, and and to stay really clear and focused on that and realize that there's going to be static around you. But as long I think in, in Barney's case, that was what he was saying essentially is, and you know, he was speaking from his heart, and people respect that. You know? Well, also in Barney Frank's case, it could be he speaks so fast, no one understood him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he was saying, "Well, this is who I am," and you know, so <laughs> I I think that um, when companies, I think when companies stay with their passion and their mission statement, and they have a plan in place, a lot of this can be mitigated. But going forward with Coleman, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and a lot of it depends on Coleman. Well, one of the mistakes it seemed they made was not to be straightforward. You know, they initially said that um, you know the, the handle had no role in the in the decision, and um, you know that wasn't about politics. And now you know the emails are coming out that that wasn't the case, and and so I think you know you've you've angered your supporters, your charity. You rely on the kindness of strangers. That's right, um, especially and, in these economic times, right? Yeah. 
Um, you, you, and so, like, I think that's a big lesson. Yeah, I think that is, you know, as we say in the PR field, that's the takeaway take here, is that, um, you know, it, these types of things tend to shed a spotlight on organizations. I mean, look what happened at NPR and the, the Juan Williams thing. And, right. um, you know, it just it puts them in the spotlight, so it'll reveal that there were probably a lot of internal uh, struggles and disorganization, and that's what you're seeing now. But, I mean, time does heal, and um, especially in this faster news cycle, it's more painful, but also it goes away faster, too. Um, people have a shorter um, attention span as well. But like I said, if, um, if they nip this in the bud and they, they bring in some experts, a SWAT team, to handle this, which obviously has been grossly mishandled. So they're just one, one out of the bonehead away from recovery. Basically, they need someone else yeah. to step on it. And, yeah, um, and, and it's interesting because just like with the BP oil thing, you know, um, eventually uh, the experts from my side and my field, we, we wait and see what happens. And we know that if it's not reconciled and if it's not mitigated, eventually the CEO will leave or will resign. Um, that typically tells you that it's, it's massively internally um, just really disorganized and mismanaged. And um, it's interesting with this whole social media age, and I think it's a good thing, and there's a lot of discussion in my profession whether this is good or bad. Well, whether it's good or bad, it's, it's here and it's now, and um, you need to have those tools and plans in place. Right. If you're going it's not to going away. And, and um, It's not going away. It's so, not going to go away. No, yeah. So, but, um, um, there's unfortunately, not just, one thing um, that is going away will be us. Um, we're running right. out of time. <laughs> but, Brenda, you've been wonderful, and I appreciate your insights. Um, where can people find more information about you? Um, you can go to nimble.com, um, and, and there's executive team on there. But I'd like to point people to um, some really good sites um, uh, PRSA.org is a Public Relations Society of America. You can get a lot of really good resources up there as well on crisis communication. And, um, you know, even, like I said, even if you're a small business, and I really believe in small business like Nimble does because, you know, Microsoft was once a small business. And yes. uh, you can get some really great tips on there and at least just have some kind of a basic framework of 10 action items that would that you'll execute if, you know, something does go a little bit awry or you hit a burp or a bump. Um, and I basically think that just kind of going up on the Internet and doing research will really help you a lot. Well, and Brenda, thank you again. Um, it sounds like we may have lost you. But I want to thank you for your time, and I want to thank everyone for joining us. Um, this has been Cyber Law and Business Report um, from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. Listen to us on um, live on webmasterradio.fm. You can also get our podcast from Webmaster Radio or on iTunes. And so join us next week when we'll be back. Until then, quarters adjourned. This is Bennett Kelly. Have a great week. And nice talking to you. Goodbye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 